Hi, I'm Helena Cobbin, the owner of Just World Books. One of the most exciting books in our fall 2010 list is going to be Gaza Mom, Palestine, Politics, Parenting and Everything in Between by Leila El Haddad, a very accomplished blogger and writer from, guess where, Gaza. Well, Leila spent most of the summer in Gaza with her two children, Yusuf and Noor, and after she came back to the United States in the middle of September, she got the chance to talk about some of her experiences and some of what she was reporting on in Gaza with Sonali Kolhatka of Pacifica Radio's Uprising program. Here's how the conversation went, starting off with the host, Sonali Kolhatka. My guest is Leila El Haddad. She is a Palestinian freelance journalist currently based in Maryland, and she's the author of the blog Gaza Mom. She's also uh, She also has a book being released next month called Gaza Mom, Palestine Politics, Parenting, and Everything in Between. Welcome to Uprising, Leila. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us today. Well, let's just get right into it, particularly regarding the settlement issue. Uh, President Obama has uh, talked a good talk, and even the mainstream media has covered this uh, settlement moratorium, but there's been little coverage of the fact that under this moratorium, only about 10% of the building activity uh, was uh, reduced. Right, absolutely. And it's, it's even beyond that, it's, you know, we have to read between the lines because when they say settlement moratorium, it's new construction. But oftentimes, there doesn't need to be new construction for settlement uh, to, to settlement continue on current construction and on projects that have already been approved. And that's exactly what uh, was going on. And in fact, in, in August, uh, Peace Now revealed that although no new building permits were issued, construction actually did continue, including the completion of uh, con- of a unit of the uh, 27. 27- Hundred uh, housing units, as well as new construction. So, so for sure, I mean, the, the settlement moratorium uh, means nothing, and I think many of us already knew that. So, it's nothing. It's not new news, and and you know, I expect that it will be it's from the beginning. You know, even on the Palestinian side, Mahmoud Abbas, which we, we can get into later, who we as Palestinians do not consider to be a legitimate representative anyway, who has no credibility. Um, who does not run a legitimate government, himself almost has said that it doesn't really make a difference to him. It's almost like he's going in there and he's going to accept whatever is being thrown at him, settlement construction or no settlement construction. So so uh, what do you then make of the statement released by uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's office saying that uh, the world has now many in the world has now realized have now realized that my intentions of reaching peace are serious and sincere and that I honor my commitments. What does he mean by he honors his commitments? Well, you know, it's talk, it's rhetoric. I mean, when Netanyahu gave this kind of landmark policy speech two years ago or a year and a half ago, I guess, in June of of 2009, he mentioned the word peace something like 35 times. He didn't mention the word occupation once. So, you know, it's again, it's in the details. What do you mean by peace? Is it a piece of, of uh, you know, uh, a, a, of a Palestinian autonomy, of continued uh, Israeli occupation and aggression and, and land theft and colonization? Is it a piece of the apartheid wall and the annexation barrier and so forth? Is it a piece of the colonies? What do you mean when you say peace? Again, we have to, is it a viable and just peace? And that's really what Palestinians are interested in. And I don't think... You know, we should be under any illusions that that's what Netanyahu is interested in. He said as much, 
in no uncertain terms, he's, you know, there was a video of him a few years ago saying that his agenda was to derail the peace process and that he would show he would be able to easily push around American administrations. And several other Israeli prime ministers have said this. You know, Olmert was boasting about being able to, to change the its, um, UN vote at the time, you know, calling Kondabuz Rice up and making her change the vote, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Sharon has said that the United States might as well have an Israeli's more Israeli in its policies, is more Zionist than, than Israel itself. Um, so, no. And then, and then, you know, one more thing that's really important to, to mention here, Netanyahu's government, the Likud government, their charter specifically states that they flatly reject the establishment of a Palestinian state. I mean, what, what more does one need than that, the actual charter? Whereas we hear people going on and on, the United States government and George Mitchell saying that Hamas, the, the government in Gaza, will have no role in these talks because of what they claim to be their rejection of the state of Israel, where we have here the Likud government itself saying that they reject a Palestinian state in Palestine. Mm. So, no, he does not want peace at least not the peace that we're interested in, again, a real, just, and viable peace. What is the Palestinian Authority's official position on settlements? And uh, how, you know, are these peace talks completely illegitimate if the majority of Palestinians don't really accept Abbas as their representative? Well, I mean, again, there's several angles to it. It's, you know, I just came back from Gaza after a two-month stay, and just last week, actually, and I had written a piece about what, the opinion of Gazans are on these talks. And uh, and I also published a piece in Al Jazeera, you know, again, doing sort of a vox pops with Gazan, Gazan voices. And, and essentially, Gazans feel left out in the cold. They're, I mean, there's several responses. Partially, people were saying, some people didn't even know, they said, what negotiations? They weren't even clued in to the fact that there were negotiations, or they just kind of zoned them out because it's just become, they've become so desensitized. You know, others were actually offended by the mere notion that there would be negotiation given the current circumstances, given the continued uh, siege and asphyxiation, given, you know, that the day that negotiations um, were restarted, actually there was a a 92-year-old shepherd and his uh, 17-year-old grandson and his 14-year-old friend were killed by Israeli shells in northern Gaza. So we have all of this continuing. It didn't even make a blip you know, in the media, this this incident. And then we have these negotiations continuing. No mention of Gaza whatsoever. You know, it's it's almost as though Gaza has just been completely removed from the equation. And in fact, one woman, I said as much, she, she a 25-year-old uh, computer engineer, she said, well, I don't quite understand. Do they plan to get Gaza outside the Palestinian territories? And, um, and I mentioned that, in fact, a new Israeli policy document uh, shows that, you know, again, this is something that we've known for a long time, but for the first time, officially, uh, this Israeli policy document in, in a presentation that the IDF gave before the Turco Committee s- states that the official Israeli goal regarding Gaza is besides upholding civilian and economic limitations and limiting people from entering or exiting the Strip, was to separate the West Bank from Gaza. So, in fact, that is now one of the official goals, and we should be really clued into this fact as these so-called negotiations are taking place and Gaza is becoming, you know, completely sidelined. And, and yes, they don't consider that that Mahmoud Abbas is a legitimate representative of the Palestinian people, whether in Gaza or the West Bank, but also critically Palestinians, you know, or in refugee camps. I mean, we're not even talking about the refugees here. They weren't, you know, 
based on Oslo and based on those agreements, even allowed to vote in the elections, whereas Iraqis and others were who were not inside Iraq. So this is another um, another element of all of this. And, and I'd like to sum it up with a, uh, another uh, journalist friend of mine, Safa Judah, who, whose response to this was simply, isn't this the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different, you know, Oslo, Y, Camp David, the the peace initiative, Annapolis, and now these direct peace talks. Well, let me then quote President Obama in his speech to the UN last week when he said, uh, the cynics say that Israelis and Palestinians are too distrustful of each other and are too divided internally to forge lasting peace. Rejectionists on both sides will try to disrupt the process with bitter words and with bombs and with gunfire. Some say that the gaps between the parties are too big. The potential for talks to break down is too great and that after decades of failure, peace is simply not possible. And uh, he basically says, I ask you to consider the alternative. Um, he's, you know, goes on to, to wax fairly hopeful about all of this. But as you've said, as you listed the litany of uh, the, the long uh, list of peace talks that have happened over the years with different presidents, it seems as though every time we have a new American president, they take it, uh, they take up this issue almost as a matter of pride to be like, I will be the president that will solve right. this long-running conflict. And do you think Obama is sort of naively trying to attempt the same? I think so. I mean, and and there's a real danger in that because, you know, we should say, first of all, it's not rejectionism. It's reality, isn't it? I mean, it's, there's no one that wants peace more than the Palestinians do. I mean, people don't want to be living under siege and occupation, but that's just it. It's, it's not about rejecting peace. It's about rejecting an unsustainable and a flawed and an uncredible because one that's not going to end the siege on Gaza since it very clearly states that the Gaza government will have no role that that's not even an agenda or an issue one where there is not an extended you know there's not a, a demand a precondition to end both settlement construction and a settlement expansion i mean that's what people are concerned with here it's again it's a just and a and a viable and a real peace that actually gets to the root of the problem ending the occupation now, uh, l- let's also talk about the UN's own report that I quoted from earlier. Uh, we did extensive coverage of the Israeli raid on uh, the Gaza Freedom Flotilla earlier this year, uh, and nine uh, people were killed. And the UN report seems uh, pretty clear on what happened. Uh, let me just repeat again. You know, among the things that they said was uh, that the IDF's actions were disproportionate and demonstrated levels of totally unnecessary and incredible violence. They also said that at least six of the passengers were killed in a manner consistent with an extra-legal, arbitrary, and summary execution. Uh, how significant is this report? Well, again, it's it's only significant, you know, just I guess similar to the Goldstone report, it's mm-hmm. only significant in as far as, in you know, in as far as what governments, what world governments will do with it, will and whether or not there will be any kind of action or react uh, to the report. You know, is it just going to be another report that we pile on top of the many other reports, or is it going to actually have some effect on the ground, or is it going to have some effect on the in the international? Uh, in the international arena, where this will be used maybe as a precedent, where where people can say, you know, look, this was an act of piracy, it was illegal, this is what happened, it was wrong, and and based on that, maybe begin to allow ships into Gaza. That would be the real test, I think, of the of the report. But you know, as far as affecting the negotiations, maybe or anything like that, I don't think so. As far as affecting perhaps Israel's 
position in the international arena, perhaps. So at this point, what do you think Abbas should do? Um, he is in, you know, it seems as though all eyes are on him now that the settlement freeze has ended and uh, settlement, uh, new settlement building has uh, started. He is in the position of having to decide whether to uh, hold his ground and say, uh, you know, I won't be at the peace talks at the table until there is an extension on the freeze. But uh, clearly the freeze is over. I mean, you know, like I said from the beginning, Abbas has has put himself in a position where he has there's no alternative for him. He's already given up all his cards. He's he said, "I'm not going to go," and you know, he cracks down on any and all dissent in the West Bank, of which there has been much. You know, whether it was in regards to the flotilla or you know against these negotiations, and he said that going to go back and you know and reject this or or respond to this with violence or anything like that. And um, and so he's committed again to to a. Sorry, he's been he's been um, you know committed to these flawed peace talks to start with. These and um, and so I think what he needs to be doing is is focusing on national reconciliation, uh, you know, between the West Bank and the Gaza governments. You know, having a united front. Uh, you know, demanding that there must be again uh, as a precondition an end to settlement construction and expansion and demanding that the Gaza government be included in this. That's what he needs to be doing. And, you know, there's there's some hopeful signs that we've heard coming out of Damascus that there's now um, serious uh, a serious advance in terms of the national unity talks. And so, I mean, I hope that would be a step in the right direction. But that's, I think, what he should be doing. Hmm. Well, finally, Leila El-Haddad, what about Israel's position in these peace talks? Going back to the issue of, you know, we've seen this happen before. There have been, you know, so many, such a long list of peace talks over the years with each new U.S. president. Is Israel's position any different this time than before? In, in terms of what, I'm sorry? Is Israel's position on negotiations and, and how they approach negotiations, is it any mm-hmm. different this time than before? No, I mean, you know, the Israeli policy towards Palestinians, um, you know, their, their Palestinian policies in general, have been very consistent and constant over the years. And it's it might be repackaged and restructured and, and presented in different ways. But essentially, I mean, it aims to forestall any kind of viable Palestinian statehood. That's always been sort of the, you know, official or unofficial goal. Regardless of who is in power on the Palestinian side, you know, Hamas might provide them with the perfect pretext, but before it was Fatah and Arafat, and one they're, you know, terrorists, and the next they're a partner for peace, and the next there is no partner for peace on the other side. I mean, go back to any news report several years, you know, back, and you can find these exact phrases being used to describe whoever has been in power on the Palestinian side. And so, no, I don't think it's at all different. Again, it's just sort of a repackaging and using nice rosy conjectures. And um, and it's easy for anyone to say that they like peace and they support peace and they're dedicated to peace. But again, what does that really mean mm. on the ground? Now, in a related story, uh, the uh, Arab League uh, last week asked for the UN wa- Atomic Watchdog Agency, the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, to call on uh, calling on them to have Israel join the nuclear non-proliferation treaty, with Israel being the only nuclear power in the Middle East. Uh, the IAEA 
did actually reject that resolution. But it's an important point, I think, to bring up that Israel is the only nuclear power in the Middle East, but it uh, faces very little opposition from the same Western countries that target Iran. You would think that the IAEA, however, would be a little bit less uh, biased. I mean, of course, there needs to be there needs to be equity when it comes to this issue, when it comes to the issue of nuclear nonproliferation and nuclear arms, but there never has been. I mean, Israel's allowed to act without impunity, you know, on the international stage in, in several respects, whether it's its nuclear program, whether it's its, uh, its, uh, its intelligence, its Mossad and its assassinations, whether it's on the Palestinian front, whether it's regarding the flotilla. Again and again and again, we see Israel acting without impunity and without you know, in no moral compass, without any, um, it's, it, uh, without being brought to account uh, whatsoever. And this needs to be, uh, this needs to come to an end. Well, Lela El Haddad, I want to thank you very much for your time and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Leila El Haddad is a Palestinian freelance journalist. She's currently based in Maryland here in the United States. She travels frequently to Gaza. And uh, she's also the author of the forthcoming book, Gaza Mom, Palestine, Politics, Parenting, and Everything in Between. We'll link to her blog, Gaza Mom, from our website, uprisingradio.org, later today. We've been talking about the Israeli-Palestinian peace talks. There is apparently not going to be a decision on whether the peace talks will continue for at least a week as President, uh, as a Palestinian. Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas decides what to do now that the settlement freeze has uh, expired just last night.